I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric at home of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. Jonas Schaefer from the Baltimore Sun joins us today. Jonas, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How about yourself? Thank you. Jonas is literally on his way to practice, so we appreciate you carving out some time for us real quick. Uh, What is the latest on the injury report? How did y'all make out Monday? Uh, It was, uh, I think, for the most part, pretty good. I don't think there was anything significant. Um, You know, this will be the, the first day, Wednesday, the that we'll actually see them back in practice. But it seemed like they got out unscathed. Um, obviously, Tavon Young was a guy who got hurt the week before, is not going to be uh, available for the rest of the season. Um, but other than that, I think they're in pretty good shape. That was a season-ending injury for Tavon. Yeah, it was a, it was a knee. He tore his AC. Uh, okay. Uh Jonas, uh, Lamar said after the game that Kansas City is their kryptonite. I suppose he's not wrong. What has Kansas City done that the other teams haven't been able to? Uh, it's a good question. I looked back at some of the tape today, and I think they were pretty aggressive in terms of what they did. You know, the fear among a lot of defensive coordinators is in playing man-to-man coverage because when you do that, typically you're going to be setting a blitz. But even if you don't, you have a lot of – you know, defensive backs, a lot of linebackers with their back turned to Lamar. So if he's able to break containment, then you're really playing with fire because he's such a great open field runner. But what the Chiefs did was just really stay disciplined with their blitzes. They really were able to break the, you know, break the pressure, excuse me, break the the pocket um, and get to him. And they were able to tackle pretty effectively in the open field. I think they had about nine missed tackles, which isn't great, but every time Lamar got the ball out quick against pressure, Kansas City did a great job of just bringing guys down, not giving them any extra you know, yards after the catch. So um, I think it was, you know, really great, really great game planning by Kansas City. But it was also, I think, probably over execution on their part, because for the first couple of weeks of the season, they just didn't look like that great of a defense. But they really put the switch on Monday night. Uh, speaking of Lamar, the MVP was not great on Monday night from the pocket. Is that a problem, or was that more of a one-off on Monday night? Yeah, I think he finished with 96 passing yards, which was a career low as a starter. But first two weeks of the season, he was at 77% accuracy, which was number two in the NFL behind only Russell Wilson. Obviously, last year he was number one in the NFL in QBR, which accounts for passing and running and everything that a quarterback does. So I think even though some people still see him as this run-first quarterback, uh, the Ravens are a run first offense, but they, they would not have had as great an offense as they did last year if Lamar weren't a capable passer. So I think it just depends, like it does for a lot of quarterbacks, on whether his offensive line can hold up. They didn't do a great job on uh, on Monday night. And whether his wide receivers can get open, which was also a problem Monday night. But I think, you know, if you give him the time and the space, he can uh, put the ball in most places that you need him to. You mentioned the run first offense. And I'm a Greg Roman fan as a play caller. But to your point, that offense isn't designed for comebacks, is it? Uh, they haven't had any <laughs> any yet, but uh, they haven't had a whole lot of chances, to be fair. 
um, I think, you know, it's definitely going to be something that's held against them until they prove that they can come back. Um, you know, coming back from 17 against Kansas City is, is never going to be easy, but they also had that big deficit against Tennessee in a playoff game where they were upset, where they, they you know, were only down a touchdown at halftime and just could not get anything going. Uh, there's obviously a uh, somewhat of a string of criticism against Greg Rowan because in the past two losses, they've seemingly given up their run game to become more pass-happy, even though the run game has been working. So uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, if, if Washington goes up ahead early on, on Sunday, I think the Ravens would, would feel more comfortable in coming back than they would against Kansas City just because of the differences and the potential of those two respective offenses. But until Lamar, until Greg Roman, until John Harbaugh actually – have a successful comeback in one of these games, it's, it's a fair question to ask. Speaking of the run game, uh, J.K. Dobbins has looked good early, but were you surprised that they spent such an early pick on a position that certainly didn't seem like a need at the time? Yeah, I think so. I was surprised just because they needed a wide receiver. They needed an edge rusher. Um, you know, they'd already taken a – an inside linebacker at that point, which was something that they needed coming into the draft. But the Ravens had a first-round grade on Dobbins. Um, you know, he hasn't been super productive so far. He had a couple catches on Monday night. His average is decent, but it's kind of a small sample size. You don't want to extrapolate too much from that. But, yeah, I mean, I was surprised that with them bringing back a pro bowler in Mark Ingram, with them bringing back Gus Edwards, who's been one of the NFL's most productive runners uh, the past two years, that they would invest a uh, you know a second round pick and a, and a decent one at that on J.K. Dobbins, but this is a different kind of organization. This is a different kind of offense. So from that perspective, it makes a little bit more sense. What did Coach say or or uh, the GM as far as what that meant about what they felt as far as Edwards is concerned? Uh, well, it was in some senses just a bet on injury. Uh, Eric DeCasa, the Ravens GM, said this offseason that as long as he's been involved in personnel decisions, there hasn't been one season where, you know, a, a running back on the Ravens hasn't gotten hurt for some amount of time. Last year, uh, the Ravens were healthy for the most part. And then week 16 comes around. Mark Ingram hurts his uh, hamstring, I think, against Cleveland. He's not able to make a recovery in time for that Titans game. He played a little bit, was clearly not at full strength. So, you know, it was just a situation where, the Ravens felt like they needed to have depth and they felt like there was good value at that pick. Long a mantra for Ravens draft uh, for Ravens draft officials. It's best player available in a lot of cases. So even though the Ravens had, you know, Gus Edwards, even though they had Mark Ingram, um, you know, Ingram's 30, 30 years old. Uh, Gus Edwards is, is pretty limited as a receiver. I guess they felt like J.K. Dobbins could give them the best of both worlds. Jonas, I personally think Hollywood Brown can be more than just a burner. That uh, that miss down the sideline on Monday was brutal. Yeah. Uh, do you think that way about him? And what have you seen from him early on in year two? Yeah, I mean, there weren't. It wasn't just one miss there. There were two misses. There was one down the left sideline where Lamar overthrew him. Yeah. One a little bit later where Lamar basically didn't loft the pass enough, and Charvarius Ward, the Kansas City cornerback, almost got his hands on a pick which was also not a good throw. Um, he's, he's looked good, uh, you know, aside from, from those two players, which he wasn't really at fault for. You know, I think Pro Football Focus had him as, like, the highest-graded 
uh, second-year receiver in all the league, entering week three, and that includes guys like DK Metcalf. Um, obviously, he's, his production isn't at that level yet, but it's two different offenses. But he's just a very scary guy with his speed uh, and, and with his ability to, to stretch the field. I think the one thing that we haven't seen from him so far is those yards after the catch. You know, we saw – if you saw him play at Oklahoma, you know, that was something that was just – you know, a very, very exciting part of his game. You put the ball in his hands on a slam, he can take it the distance. So far, it's been um, just a lot of, you know, kind of catch and quick tackles, unfortunately uh, for him. But uh, with his with his speed, with his elusiveness in the open field, it's probably just a matter of time before he catches one over the middle and takes it to the house. Speaking of electric, DuVernay went to the house. Uh, are they going to get him more looks? at receiver or are they happy with him in his special teams role at this point? Yeah, that was a question today uh, for John Harbaugh. And uh, it sounds like they'll be using him more in the offense. Obviously he's going to have that kick return position locked down until he fumbles or, or really messes up badly. But, um, you know, he hasn't really played a whole lot on offense. I think it's just a, a couple snaps in both games, but uh, he has also field stretching uh, potential He's not maybe as quite as shifty as Willie Sneed, who's the slot receiver, which is probably the position that he'd take. But uh, I think you know they, they like what he's able to do. They like his production from uh, from you know, his days at Texas, where he caught a lot of screens, was really really tough to, to bring down in the open field. So it's just a matter, I think, of getting more comfortable in the offense and developing that chemistry with Lamar Jackson, because I think maybe more than other quarterbacks, just being someone that, that you can trust in this offense with Lamar Jackson is really, really important. If he doesn't trust you, he's not going to throw it your way. Uh, personally, I think Ronnie Stanley's a top five, top 10 tackle. Do the Ravens see him that way? And, and have they started contract extension talks with him? Are you surprised? I haven't heard that they have. Are you surprised by that? Yeah, they, they started them uh, this past offseason, and that was okay. after they put a franchise tag on him. So. He's going to be a free agent next, uh, you know, next offseason unless they lock him up before then. It's, it's going to take a lot of money because I, I think you're absolutely right that he's a top five tackle. I think ESPN had him number three in their pass block win rate. He's a very agile guy who could be a real, you know, real weapon on, on screens. He's agile enough to get to that next level on, on blocking plays and, and just take out a linebacker. He's just a guy who seems like he's taken his uh, game to another level with, with every single year. And if the Ravens can't lock him down, um, then they're going to have a, a huge hole at that left tackle. But um, he's going to take a lot of money at this point to do it because Laramie Thunsell basically reset the market when, when Houston uh, re-signed him uh, this past offseason. Did the Ravens look at Orlando Brown Jr. as a guy that can slide over to left tackle if that doesn't happen? Possibly, but if you were to look at the early returns from this year, I think you would be pretty discouraged. I, th I think he's probably allowed three sacks in three games. Last year, he was a, pre a pro bowler, but he was also playing next to a Hall of Famer in Marshall Yonda, who, who was just such a big help, not only on the field, but off the field as well, just helping him get his mental, the, the mental part of the game really nailed down. So far, he's had a couple of whiffs in pass protection. I think he's a pretty good run blocker, which is obviously a super important facet of, of uh, you know, of the game for a blocker in this offense. But I think right now he's probably best served at right tackle. Um, he's faced a lot of really tough guys so far. Um, 
you know, hasn't won as many battles as you would have expected given what he did last year in only his second year. But, you know, the Ravens may have to you know, kind of bite the bullet and move him over to left tackle or try to find another guy if they can't or don't want to re-sign Ronnie Stanley for whatever uh, the market says he's worth. Uh, that's a, a great point you make about Judon. I really haven't even, um, not Judon, but the, um, Yonda. Uh, that's great. I didn't even thought about that. Um, speaking of Judon, I had Judon on the brain. Is it me or is he off to a slow start this year? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think, you know, I was looking at the pro football focus grades and him and pretty much everyone else on that edge rush interior line, uh, you know, part of the pass rush has, really disappointed frankly so far I think you know every single one of their grades is reflected in the quality of a backup pass rusher according to pro football focus so you know they didn't sack Mahomes they, they got after Deshaun Watson a couple times in week two but you know that was with the help of a lot of blitzes which is something that's a, a staple of Wink Martindale game plans uh, Baker Mayfield for the most part was pretty comfortable I think in the pocket in week one um, obviously mobile quarterbacks are, are tough to bring down and those are three of the most mobile guys in the league but if they can't get what they need from guys like Calais Campbell if Matthew Judon you know can't be a 10 sack guy like I think a lot of people expect him to then this defense is really going to be handicapped because uh, you know you need a guy who, who really commands a lot of attention um, and if you can't scheme guys open on pass rushes then uh, you're really in, in a lot of trouble because they just haven't looked that good so far. Matthew Judon's disappointed. Matthew uh, Tyus Bowser has been okay, uh, but still hasn't really been able to make a whole lot of plays. Uh, Jalen Ferguson, who was a third-round pick a year ago, is, is pretty much glued to the bench at, at this point and not doing a whole lot. So, um, you know, you would expect the competition to help lift these guys up, but for some reason it's, it's just depressed their production so far. You mentioned Calais Campbell. Is he at DN with Williams at the nose? Are they still running a traditional 34 in their base? Uh, I wouldn't say traditional because, I mean, this might be a game, depending on how uh, Washington lines up, where they just don't run a base defense. I think I saw someone say that in week two uh, with how spread out Houston's offense is. Uh, the Ravens didn't run a single base defense, meaning that, like, you know, they would have three down linemen. Uh, but maybe only, you know, two outside linebackers, one inside linebacker, and then the rest were DBs. So um, I, I think if you were looking at it from the traditional perspective, yes, it is a 34 defense. Um, you're, you're always going to have at least two outside linebackers in there. Uh, but Calais typically has been the guy kind of setting the edge on rushing downs. <clears throat> I have to go back and look at the tape, but it's kind of surprised me last uh, on Monday night that they weren't really kicking him inside on obvious pass rushing situations. And bringing on more uh, outside rushers, they were again asking him to be an outside edge rusher, uh, which you know doesn't really seem like a best use of his talents. He's still a great run stopper. Um, you know his, his stuff rate, I think, is really really impressive for a guy who's his, who's his age. But we just haven't seen enough, um, I guess, what we expected from him as a pass rusher. And they're, they're paying him a lot of money to do a lot of things. But I think you know they're they're still trying to unlock his his production as a pass rusher so far. <clears throat> you mentioned uh, Queen earlier. How has the first round linebacker looked so far? Uh, not great, <laughs> but I, I think you know you look around the league, and none of the first round linebackers are really doing all that hot. Uh, he had a, a couple splash plays in that Week One win against Cleveland. 
he got a sack on, on a really nice blitz that he timed well. He forced a fumble um, after, I think, Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt was just, you know, kind of held up and he was able to jar it loose. But he really struggled in, in coverage on Monday night. I think uh, Kansas City went after him five times in coverage and he allowed uh, five completions for about 50 yards. There was the the really nice completion over the shoulder of uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire's head for about 20 yards where he just, you know, maybe kind of faked on an inside route and instead broke it and uh, broke it outside and caught a nice fade pass. So, you know, he, he's a physical specimen. He's a, he's a smart guy. He's a humble guy. But so far, you know, in the run game, he can be kind of, you know, liable to get blown off the ball, liable, liable to get blown off the ball with his size. And then in pass coverage, he can be a little bit over-anxious and, you know, want to cut off that first cut and step in front of the ball, which, you know, some running backs have really taken advantage of. So, um, you know, the Ravens staff is obviously still very, very high on him, but he's definitely a guy that I think more and more coordinators are going to go after. Jonas, when the Ravens parted ways with Earl Thomas, was that more about Earl or the development of Chuck Clark? Uh, well, they were both starting last year, so I, I think they, there wasn't a lot of overlap there. It was just a situation where his relationship with the team became untenable. Uh, you know, it was it was that argument that he had with Chuck Clark that was the spark that really set off the chain of events that led to him having his contract terminated. But, uh, you know, he just wasn't the, the locker room presence that they needed. You know, he was great in coverage last year, but there were some plays um, where, you know, they felt like he was freelancing or, or not doing his job. That was a, the kind of play that, uh, that you know, led to the Ravens getting in trouble on the in training camp, which then led to the, the practice blow up with, 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 with Chuck Clark. So it, it, it was a tough situation. Um, they had to, you know, bite the bullet on taking a lot of, a lot of cash, a lot of cap space when they when they released him. They still might be able to get some of it back depending on how, you know, this season plays out and how the, the mediation process plays out. But uh, I think if they wanted to keep someone of his ability who was a good locker room presence, they absolutely wanted to. It was just a situation where guys on the team didn't feel like he was holding up his end of the bargain. And, you know, as coach, you got to be responsible for more than the X's and O's. You got to be responsible for the locker room stuff, and uh, you know as well. So, it was just a situation where they felt like they had to part ways. So that's what they did. Last one for you, Jonas, and I really of appreciate course. your time today. What are the lone bright spots for the Washington team? Has been McLaurin. Uh, will Humphreys travel with him? Is that is that what the scheme says or no? The Ravens do play a lot of man, and I think I remember Terry McLaurin being a guy who normally lines up in the slot. Is that right? Uh, when No, he started out last year outside, but has been playing a little bit more in the slot this year. They've moved him around gotcha. a little bit well, more. If he's in the slot, he's probably going to get matched up against Marlon Humphrey, who was a all-pro last year, a very physical guy, can, can run with a lot of guys. Uh, but if McLaurin, you know, bumps outside, then obviously the Ravens still have Marcus Peters, who was all-pro last year. He took his lumps Monday night against – Kansas City, some plays were his fault, some plays really weren't, but those are two very, very good corners that, that the Ravens have. Um, I think they probably play more man than, than a lot of teams do just because of you know, how physical those guys can get, uh, but they also run a lot of different blitzes that, that require zone pressures in the back end, so it just requires a lot of coordination, a lot of communication w- with those guys, but uh, I would definitely expect that the Ravens, considering the lack of you know, talent around Corinth that they're really focusing on him and make stopping him their, their top priority.
Absolutely. That's interesting because I didn't realize that Humphrey uh, played in the nickel. I don't know why yeah, I thought well, he was he a boundary guy. He started the season as an outside cornerback because that's where his, his natural position was. But when they lost Tavon, uh, Tavon Young, who was their top nickelback, um, they had to move Marlon Humphrey back to nickelback, which was the position that he played after Tavon Young, again, <laughs> was lost for the season last year. So it's a bit of a deja vu situation, but he, he's comfortable playing outside and inside. But his best position is probably as an outside cornerback. Jonas, tell the folks where they can find you and what you might got coming uh, up. BaltimoreSun.com slash sports is uh, the homepage for all of our Raven stuff coming up this week. And just follow me on Twitter at uh, Jonas underscore Schaefer. That's J-O-N-A-S underscore S-H-A-F-F-E-R. Jonas Schaefer, everybody. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. All right. Nate Coleman joins the show today. Nate, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. So full disclosure, we're trying something new this week. We hope to make it a weekly segment inside the behind the numbers uh, as the game moves to a more analytic approach and, and taking care of mismatches. We'll take a look each week at what the Washington football team did right and where they got it wrong. What do you think, Nate? You ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so we've been begging for a better approach from the offensive coordinator. Did we get it this week? Yeah, I think I think Scott Turner is the bright spot on this offense right now. You're seeing better play design, better decision-making from a play-caller perspective. You're seeing a higher early down pass rate, more up-tempo. All the things we kind of talked about that we thought Scott Turner might implement – He's done it so far. Um, the big issue, obviously, has been uh, execution. Execution has crippled us. So when we're early in games, we know we're passing early on down, something the old regime was not big on. We're trying to exploit mismatches by using two running back sets. How often were we actually in that formation? Yeah, so it's not it's not as often as you'd like so far. They've used it 7% of the time, and the league average is right around 8%. So it's not as often as you'd like. And the, the big thing I've kind of noticed with personnel groupings this year, and of course it's early, um, but they're not really playing to their strengths. And what I mean by that is, you know, each roster, some teams have really strong receiving core. Some have strong tight ends. You know, it just depends on the team. Like Dallas, they're going to use a lot of 11 personnel or three receivers because they have three really good receivers. Uh, you know, a team like uh, the Vikings, they're going to use a lot of two tight end sets because they have Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph. Uh, Washington doesn't really have that luxury. If they did have one strength, uh, it would be the running backs because – both uh, Gibson and McKissick are really solid receivers. So I, I'd like to see more t uh, 21 personnel, but right now they're not, use they're not using it hardly at all. Like I said, just 7% isn't quite enough. Where does that number need to be? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think you do something more often if you're good at it, if you're efficient. Um, and right now, and it's a small sample, but they're averaging the most yards per attempt out of 21 personnel. And the reason for that is because when you line up in 21, the defense has to adjust to a base defense. They have to bring in 
you know, four defensive backs and three linebackers. And you can create a lot of mismatches out of that. You want to get your running backs one-on-one with linebackers. Uh, and that's the whole point. And I think that's one of the issues I have with uh, Antonio Gibson's usage is they're, they're not throwing him the ball at all. And uh, targets are just so much more valuable than a carry. So if they can find a way to, you know, manufacture some touches for him the same way they've been doing with Isaiah Wright the last game, I think you'd see a lot more production. Do we have the target share numbers for Gibson? No, but I can I can pull it up. It's he they're one of the uh out of all the teams, they they target running backs some of the least in the NFL. Um and a lot of that is tendency. Like there's there's quarterbacks who just love to dump it off. And it's just like Phillip Rivers, for example. He I think last year they led the league, the the uh the Bolts led the league in running back targets. It's just part of his style of play, but uh, Haskins doesn't really do that, and they're not really designing a lot of plays for the running back either. Um, you saw you saw a pretty big screen that Haskins missed on last week, and that was kind of the perfect play you'd like to see Gibson get the ball with. Just presenting opportunities for him to be one on one is where he's going to win. You know, when you when you give him a carry, it's it's never one on one. It's it's usually a stack box. Or it's it's he has to make one or two people miss. I mean, one on one is that's how he wins, and that's what we need to do more often. Now, the opposite of that, if I'm not mistaken, I think I saw that Logan Thomas leads all tight ends in in uh, in shares. Yeah, he so so Thomas is in the the top three for routes run, target share. Uh, targets out of the slot he, he basically if he's lined up he's running a route essentially if you're throwing um so it's a it's a two-edged sword right he's he's getting a lot of volume which is good because a, a target is a skill you know good players get more targets but on the other end of that you have to be more efficient with your targets and how do you help with that you help by better target quality and you get that from an accurate pass and he, he ranks near the bottom of the league in target quality. So, and I, I, I kind of think one of his issues too, is he's not, he doesn't have short area quickness or burst. He's a long strider. He's a good vertical target down the field, like running a seam route. Um, but he's not a guy who's going to separate really fast. He's still, he's still an upgrade at the position, but, but he, I don't think they're using him the right way. Um, and, and I think maybe you'll start to see more of that down the road, but, uh, it, it, he has such a big target share because they really don't have anyone else to compete with. They don't have an opposite receiver to Terry McLaurin to take away some of those targets. Steven Sims went down. I write, Isaiah Wright went in. Tell us a little bit about what they saw from him on Sunday. Yeah, you saw a lot of uh, manufactured touches, which is great. You saw reverses and bubble screens and he made the most of those opportunities. He, um, yeah, obviously it wasn't a lot of yards or anything, but you could see, I mean, he, for, for being a rookie that was undrafted out of temple, I, he looked like he belonged. I mean, I, I could see for him in the future, maybe being, you know, a wide receiver five or six on a team, but I, I know everyone gets really excited about him, but most of the time guys that are undrafted, they don't really end out carving out a role. Um, I mean, I mean, Sims last year kind of did the same thing and was explosive the past four weeks of the season in 2019, and no one really got that excited about him. So I'm not going to freak out over one game, but 
I mean, I like to see that he was involved and he, he made the most of his opportunities. The numbers suggest that when Haskins gets the ball out quickly, he's more effective. Is that a byproduct of the line or getting him in rhythm? Um, it's a lot of things. So you, you see a lot of stats on Twitter and online about he, he's one of the, he has one of the uh, fastest releases basically. And there, there's a few reasons for that. It, it could be schemed in that they want more quick passes to get him in rhythm. It's also the offensive line. Uh, it's kind of interesting because I think he ranks fifth or sixth in, in sack rate, but his pressure rate and hit rate is 16th. So there's, so he's he's getting a lot of sacks, but he's not getting pressured or hit as often as the media makes it seem. Um, if you go back and watch that game and just watch each of his dropbacks, he has a clean pocket a lot of the times, like similar to a lot of other quarterbacks. But he's he's just missing throws. He uh, it's really it's it's a combination of things, right? But uh, I, I think pocket awareness is something that you're just he he doesn't seem confident. He doesn't want to step into throws. He doesn't want to hold the ball long enough. Um, he just seems kind of jittery or shell-shocked, a little bit like Patrick Ramsey. I'm sure a lot of fans remember him. Um, so that's never a name you want to hear. But, you know, it's it's early, and there's still lots of time. And they got to give him a full 16 games just to see what they have. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. There's no reason to get the guy out of there, particularly when the backup is not the answer. It's frustrating because he had a bad game, but that's the first interception that he's thrown since week 15 of last year. Do you think that he is too conservative with the ball and this was his attempt at pushing the ball down the field a little bit more? Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of got to toe the line, right? You don't want, sometimes it's good to be a game manager, um, but you still do want a gunslinger and yeah, I think he wanted to come out of the gates swinging, but he he missed a lot of easy throws that he shouldn't be missing. Now, last year, he really struggled on short throws. He was actually a better passer on intermediate passes, you know, 10 to 15 yards down the field versus line of scrimmage to five yards, which which is weird. It's kind of backwards. Most quarterbacks are the opposite of that. Um, and you kind of have seen the same thing this year. Um, obviously we don't have the talent at skill position players to really help him out too much. And our offensive line is pretty shoddy at best, but yeah, he just seems to be missing a lot of throws and it, the play calling is there though. You saw a lot of receiver separation. You see guys get open. It's just a matter of executing and he might just be a guy who needs a strong pocket. And, and there's guys like that, like, like Jared Goff, for example. I mean, I don't consider him like an elite quarterback, but when you give him a clean pocket, he's it's night and day. He's he's lethal, and they don't even have a very talented offensive line there in in L.A. But they're able to protect him through scheme. And I think Scott Turner is going to be a guy who's going to have to do the same thing. You're going to have to mask your deficiencies with with scheme that kind of adjusts for pressure, and you just have to know the strengths and weaknesses. And right now, pressure is a weakness for Dwayne. Not much help for Terry McLaurin, but he continues to shine. Yeah, he's he's been excellent. I think you've seen the the tweets everywhere and all over the internet. He's among the lead leaguers, the uh, league leaders in uh, yards after catch, um, which is excellent. 
it's not really uh he's that's not really a strong point for him or at least he hasn't been known for that in the past but I mean it's just another element of his game and big part of uh, creating yak is being able to separate and create short area quickness right away and he's he's able to do that because he's a precision route runner and it kind of shows in those plays but yeah I'd like to see more of that more targets to McLaurin but I'd like to see more uh, manufactured touches for him too. Um, he just, he wins all over the field. You can put him in the slot. He's really the only weapon you have. And I just think the volume is going to be there all year. He just needs better target quality. How many targets did he see on Sunday? Um, I don't have that in front of me. I want to say it was eight, but. Okay. Yeah. He, he needs to be up at. 15 a game at least i think yeah he needs a stronger target share the the good news is you're seeing a lot more like play volume and if you just see more play volume that's going to give him a chance he has one of the highest air yard market shares in the nfl though and last year he did too he ranked in the top 10 and he's in the top 10 again this year and it makes a lot of sense he, he's the only player there he's at the top of the totem pole and there's little target competition and people are kind of worried, like, oh, what if they double or triple team him? Well, it doesn't matter. Um, he He's way more efficient with his targets than anyone else is. So you have to make an effort to get him the ball. And it's especially critical when it's one-on-one. It, when you can identify that, and that's part of what Turner's scheme does, is it creates mismatches. But anytime you get out one-on-one, he's going to win. And he did that all all day long on Sunday and did the same thing against Patrick Peterson against the Cardinals. He just continued to win. He, he did struggle week one against Slay. It was kind of inconsistent, obviously. But uh, the last two weeks, he's just won every matchup he's had, it seems like. Yeah, there's no doubt. What did you see this week? that they Early in the game, they were able to get Haskins in a roll with timing and speed. What happened there between the first half and the second half, do you think? I think they everything we kind of talked about as a fan base and the analysts talking about getting Haskins in a rhythm early and creating easy opportunities for high-efficiency throws, I think you saw that. There are a lot of early passes and, and, and short completions that, that Haskins can make. Uh, and, and he does seem like a rhythm thrower, and that's what they did. They used a lot of up-tempo and, and hurry-up. And, and it was for a purpose, you know, it was to keep the defense off balance, to keep the same personnel packages on the field. And they seemed to take advantage of it. I, I really thought the play on was, was excellent pretty much the whole game. I, I was pretty encouraged, honestly, until that he threw the first interception, I, I remember sitting down and thinking, man, this is his best game I've ever seen. He, he looks terrific. And then it all just, uh, it was kind of the snowball effect from there, right? It was an odd snowball effect because you're right. He pumps the first interception, I believe, trying to go over the top to Thomas, and he and he throws long. And, but the only one that he he throws the the third one, I guess, is the one where he actually stared the receiver down. Yeah. But even until then, they were in that game with a chance to win. The other two were kind of just bad throws. The stare down was the only one that I saw that really was egregious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see young quarterbacks make throws like that, but I, a big part of it that uh, Mark Bullock has a, a great Twitter thread on this. I think he just posted it yesterday, but he kind of goes play by play and shows the progression and the read. 
And one thing he mentioned that a lot of young quarterbacks do is they, before the play starts, they have a receiver they intend on throwing the ball to already. They look at the defense and they find a mismatch and they say, okay, it's Logan Tom, that, that, that first interception, for example, it's Logan Thomas one-on-one with a linebacker. He's going to win that. And that's kind of what Dwayne was thinking. And it, t- it turns out on that play, Logan, Logan Thomas wasn't open and the linebacker just had excellent coverage on him one-on-one and Dwayne tried to fit it in a tight window. And, you know, that's what happens. So you sometimes it's okay to uh, have a set intended receiver pre-snap, especially if there's a blitz and you have a hot read, it's okay. That That's a good thing. But sometimes you have to be flexible and look to your next progression. And Haskins was a good pro- progression thrower in college. He, uh, I think he was second in, in college football and quarterback rating on second reads, meaning if the first read wasn't there, the second receiver he was looking at, he had a really high completion percentage and yards per attempt. So he's capable of it. It's just a progression. And he, he also only played one year in college. So maybe we'll see a similar progression line this year. Yeah, it will be interesting because we really haven't had a chance to see him have a a bad game, like a three turnover bad game. He hadn't been great early, but he hasn't been turned the ball over three times. So we're up for a, a tough challenge. What do you think that they can take from what Scott Turner did last game going forward against this Ravens team? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting matchup because the Ravens do a lot of different things well. I mean, obviously the the Chiefs kind of handed it to them, but that's the Chiefs and that's that's what they do. But the, the Ravens are going to uh, – they're licking their chops to play a young quarterback. I'll just put it that way. Um, I think the best thing th- the team can do is uh, just f- execute. That's huge. Um I'd like to see them – it sounds weird for an analytics guy to say, but I think they could run the ball more often just on the right downs and at the right circumstances. That They actually average five yards per carry out of 11 personnel, um, which is, you know, their base offensive formation. So they're able to, to run the ball sometimes. It just seems like they always run it at the wrong time. Um, and maybe that will come with more experience. But I think with the Ravens, you want to get out – to a lead against them. That's probably the best way to play them. <laughs> it's hard to do with the offense like this. Sure. You have to be, you have to be aggressive. You want Lamar Jackson, you have to throw the ball 30 or 40 times. Um, not that he isn't great at throwing the ball too. I mean, he was the MVP last year for a reason, but that I think that's, that's the blueprint of beating them. They don't like to play from behind. So we're going to have to be aggressive. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. I think we only ran the ball 19 times on Sunday and had a lead for a good bit of that first half. Uh, It was a little bit surprising. Yeah. I think they got to find a way to, to run the ball at the right time. I think that's huge. They're good at running it out of 11 personnel because, you know, the defense can't stack the box. You can only play with six or seven men in the box. And it's really a numbers game when it comes to running successfully. And they're just, the, the funny thing is they're just God awful at running the ball from any other personnel package, except 11. They average 3.5 yards per carry out of 12 personnel, 2.4 out of 21. And and with three tight ends, they average less than a yard per carry. So they're just not they're not a, they're not efficient when they don't play their strengths. You have three tight ends who can't run routes and can't run block. There's no point in using them all the time. And it seems like that's something they're kind of struggling with. Yeah, I have 
it's funny, I say this every Sunday so far. I have no idea why they even contemplate putting three tight ends out there because I haven't seen Sprinkle or Ball out there on a play that ends up being a pass yet. Yeah, I mean, they've used uh, one running back and three tight end sets 6% of the time. That's that's 11 plays. And with those plays, they've averaged 0.4 yards per carry and one yard per attempt. <laughs> that's That's like the most egregious number I've ever seen. I mean, I know it's only 11 plays, but – they just don't offer any strength. They're not they're not good at anything at this point in their careers. So it's kind of pointless to have them on the field at all. I mean, you might as well just not use 12 personnel and use three tight end sets as much. Well, we got uh, maybe the biggest test of the year coming up. Uh, hopefully more uh, two running back sets, more hurry up. And I would at least double the shares to McLaurin, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's all you can hope for is, you know, get out to a lead, be aggressive, throw the ball to McLaurin, just hope for uh, less turnovers and maybe better play from the offensive line. I, I, I think they've been okay. Like there's some bright spots, you know, I, I think Moses has been awesome and Christian's kind of been up and down. Uh, Schweitzer's been Schweitzer looked really good to be honest. Uh, so yes, he did. Yeah, I, I thought he looked good, and I, I think their center is fine. I think he's like that. You know, you, you want continuity on the line, so I don't think he's like a world beater, but I think he's above average. And maybe for a team like that, that's all kind of all you can ask for. Nah, really, yeah, he's fine. People give him a hard time, but he starts for at least half the teams in the league. He's he certainly yeah. isn't the problem. Yep. I agree. All right, Nate. Well, um, here's the Sunday, and um, we'll do it again next week. All right. Sounds good, man. Have a good one. Thanks, buddy. Yep, you too.